Welcome to the Church at UH weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the church, please visit churchatuh.org. Thank you for making your way here to the rain. I mean, through the rain, to the rain. This is where the rain's at. Um, Dave Dozier is going to speak with us tonight, Executive Director of Hope House, and uh, he's going to wrap up uh, Philippians, and uh, note we're doing uh, Colossians. <laughs> did, you, did you have a, uh, were you surprised when I said you were, uh, you were doing Philippians? So, um, so this will uh, be a good time, and so welcome Dave. I'm going to read the scripture, uh, Colossians 3, 18 through 25. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Lord Jesus, let us hear what you have to say. Give us ears to hear. Uh, Stop my mouth when it needs to be stopped. Open it when it needs to be opened. Give us grace to love you. Amen. All right. Well, I got a landmine of a text, don't I? Battle of the sexes, husbands and wives, parental and children uh, uh, rights, uh, management and labor, Thank you very much. (laughs) I've got to say, though, and and we heard a lot about this last week, to understand, really, what Paul is saying in Colossians. We need to understand what it means to die with Christ. And I I want to take some time to, to share a theme I think runs through the Scriptures I haven't heard it put quite this way, and maybe there's a better way to put it, but I'm going to call it a theme of life and death, death and life coexisting in the same person. So I'm going to take a minute to lay out this theme. Be patient. That doesn't mean we'll be here two hours. God created the world. He created it good. He breathed life into Adam and Eve. There was no mention of death. God said to them, eat anything you want except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Well, we know what happened. They ate it, but they didn't die. They continued to live. They reproduced. Uh, Their prodigy covered the earth. Or did they die? Yeah, yeah, they really did. They died from the inside out. They died spiritually. That portal that is the connection with their creator was shut down, shriveled up. 
their mental faculties began to drop like a rock. I want you to think about this. Adam had named all the animals in the world, and a few days later, he says, uh-oh, here comes God, let's go hide behind a tree. I mean, that has to be the, the Nobel Prize for stupidity. To go from naming all the animals to hiding to, from God behind a tree, and they died physically. If you read the book of Genesis, you're gonna see every generation gets a little bit shorter. Death was the state of humanity. God described it a couple of ways. In Ezekiel, he says, we're like a big valley of dry skeletons. I'm gonna bring them to life someday. He says in Jeremiah that the heart is sick and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? But God also promised that life would come. He promised that there was going to be a king that would come and he would give us life. He would restore life. And of course, we all know the end of that story. It's the Lord Jesus. John introduces the Lord Jesus. He said, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was, was God. In him was life. And the life is the light of men. Later on, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And again, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Just an inter interesting footnote in Acts chapter three, uh, in one of Peter's sermons, he calls Jesus the prince of life. I think that's really interesting. I'd like to study that sometime. The prince of life. Well, how do we get that life from the Lord Jesus? Where is this life? How do we get it? Well, we're good evangelicals, so we'd all raise our hand and say, believe, right? That's the answer. That's, that's, that's the evangelical good Baptist answer. Amen? Come on, give it to me. <laughs> but there's so much more. Belief is the hub of salvation from our end. But how about repentance? The first time Mark mentions Jesus preaching he went about preaching and said this, repent, which means just turn around and go the other way, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But there's another theme, another means of salvation, another way that we get this life that Jesus spoke of, and we don't hear about it much. I've never seen a gospel track that really focuses on this. But Jesus said, if a grain of wheat remains by itself, Unless a grain of wheat remains, uh, boy, now I'm messing it up. If a grain of wheat remains by itself, it stays alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus spoke time and time again about needing to die in order to live. There's that theme again. Life to death, death and life in the same person. Six times in the Gospels, Jesus says this, if you want to follow me, come on, pick up your cross. Now, I, I want to stop and take a minute and, and let's talk about what that means. Because in 2019, the cross is an icon. It has been an icon in the Western world for thousands of years. It's a, it's a piece of jewelry. It's been our artwork. It's, it's, it's nothing like what Jesus was speaking of. 
when he said to that audience, pick up your cross and follow me. He might have, well, in fact, if he said it to us today, he would put it this way. He'd say, I want you to go up to Huntsville. Let him strap you down on a gurney and stick that needle in your arm. That, that kind of wakes you up, doesn't it? You see, friends, if anybody carried a cross, they knew within a few short hours they were going to be hanging on that cross and they wouldn't be let down the next day. There was no ali ali in free for, with the cross. You were going to die. So Jesus said, you want to follow me? You got to die. You got to pick up your cross. You got to carry it to where they're going to crucify you. And you got to be willing to be hung up. And there's no such thing as corporal punishment with the cross. It's always capital. It's always your death. Think with me now. As Jesus was carrying the cross... He said goodbye to people along the way. There were women weeping, and he said, listen, don't cry for me. Cry for Jerusalem. If they're going to do this when the, when, the, when the grass is green, what's going to happen when it's brown? He got on the cross. He's hanging from the cross. He looks down. He sees his mother, and he sees John, the disciple. And he turns to the mother, and he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He's saying goodbye to his mother. He's saying, Mom, I'm not going to be here any longer. If you get sick, I can't call the doctor. If you're not feeling well or you need something fixed around the house, I won't be there for you. I'm not going to be here to bring in the bacon like I have been. He probably wouldn't have said bacon. <laughs> he was saying goodbye. When you pick up the cross, you are saying goodbye everything you hold dear and near and precious you're saying goodbye to the things you don't necessarily think are precious but you're just kind of accustomed to you're used to seeing you're saying goodbye to everything that's what becoming a Christian is now it's interesting that Jesus said and, and, and he only said it once that I could find in the Gospels I think it's Luke chapter 9 he says if you want to be my disciple you have to pick up your cross daily now wouldn't it be sweet if we just do it once and it was all over with right we wouldn't have but we have this struggle where every day we're challenged to pick up the cross and die again when we first put our faith in Christ, somehow, mystically, we were transported back in time and we were on that cross with Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. We were killed with him. And now, those of us who know Christ, there's something really strange about us. One person, but we've got two natures. My old nature, my old me, my old son of Adam and Eve, that's a rebel that wants to do his own thing, that doesn't want to let go of those things that I hold dear and dear and precious. And then that new me, created in the image of Christ. It's interesting also, Adam and Eve, when they first died, they died from the inside out. Right? In other words, we said they didn't die, but they did internally. Kind of like an old tree still has strong branches and leaves, 
but it's not quite at the tree it was, and you call the tree surgeon, the tree surgeon says, that, that tree's dead. What do you mean it's dead? Still got leaves. It's rotting from the inside out. Well, when we become to faith in Christ, we become new from the inside out. And so we have these two natures fighting against each other. Everybody in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to describe, but I've got the old me and the new me. And I submit to you that unless we crucify ourselves daily with Christ, we will never be able to, nor would we really want to, obey the commandments that we're given. For instance, Jesus says, okay, uh, I want you to forgive others. You want to be heard by God? You need to forgive them as you want him to forgive you. Sermon on the Mount. Later on, he says, those who evilly and despitefully use you and abuse you, I want you to pray for them and treat them nice. In fact, I want you to be just like your heavenly father and let the sun shine on them, the evil and the good. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. That's not me. Man, you disrespect me. I'm going to show you who I really am. I don't want you to hurt me. But if I truly am dying, I can at least take a step at following that command. Think through the commands of Jesus, the commandments of Paul. You're going to see commands that there's no way in the world we would try to follow unless we were truly dying to the old person. Uh, Corinthians, two Christians are suing each other in court. Paul says, dudes, what are you doing? Don't you know the church is going to judge the world? What are you doing airing your dirty laundry out in the world? He said, why not rather be defrauded? In other words, let up, give up the money. You think somebody cheated you? Just walk away. Does that make sense to your old man? No, it does not. He said to slaves, he said, did you come to Christ as a slave? Don't force and fight to be free. He said, now, if you can't be free, become free, that's fine, but be content where you are. Does that make sense to us? No, it does not. Does it make sense to us, to our old men, to forgive others as Christ forgave? No, it does not. What I submit to you, brothers and sisters, is that the church, you know, this, this church, the Church of America, has really forgotten what it means to deny, to deny oneself, to die with Christ, and to take ego and whatever I like and whatever my preferences are and put them aside. And because we have, we have become weak, we have become impotent, we have become almost a non-entity in our society today. There's another problem though. Two natures, one person, both of them really part of me. Sometimes I'm getting this signals and I'm not quite sure, is that the old me, is that the new me? Because I like to fool myself sometimes, you know what I'm saying? I can rationalize, I can justify doing something that is wrong 
sometimes, even when we are sincerely trying to figure out what the right thing to do is, we can't tell. Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul, in the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, does a masterful job of describing this is the new you, this is the old you. This is the characteristics, the traits, the perspectives, the way that you look at life in Christ, and this is the old you. And he puts them in juxtaposition right next to each other. I've got some handouts over here from those uh, uh, books, also the, uh, the Epistle of James, where the writer perfectly gives you a picture so that you can look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm operating out of the flesh. I'm operating out of my old man or the new. Here's just a couple of for instances. Oh, let me stop and say, what's really amazing or interesting is in all the descriptions of the old and the new, of the behavior that's Christ-like and born of the spirit and the behavior that's, that's your old sinful nature, Almost all of them are on the horizontal plane. How you treat other people. When you are misused, when you're abused, how do you respond? Not the vertical. The words that are constantly used to describe the new you, patient, kind, forgiving, loving, bearing with one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, and the words that are used to describe my old self, greed, uh, malice, envy, covetousness, fighting, arguing. So sometimes, again, we wonder, is this the old me, is this the new me? So here's a couple of questions you might ask yourself. Do I find myself loving to argue with other people? Not debate, but loving to argue, really get into it. And do I really enjoy having the last word? You know, kind of like that boxer, as soon as the bell rings, he's gonna get one more punch in. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's probably the old me. Or am I able to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Am I willing to respect a person who I think they're absolutely wrong? and honor them as made in the image of God. That's the new me. Do I find myself gravitating towards people who think and look and act like me in the world, where I work, where I live, where I play? Or do I, as Paul says, seek out and try to be all things to all men so I can in some ways save some? Do I have a tendency to hold on to my anger when someone hurts me, hold that grudge? Or am I able, in the name of Jesus, to let go of that anger? Maybe it doesn't mean I necessarily forget. I keep my boundaries with some people because they're gonna do it again if they can. That's, that's just the way life is. But I don't seek to retaliate. If someone offends me, is it my tendency to react right away? Or do I, as Paul says in Galatians, check myself first? Ask myself, what is it that bothered me? So maybe it's inside here, not there. 
And if I'm offended by someone and I'm confident that they did me wrong, do I go talk to other people about it? Do I triangle? Remember, divisiveness and arguing and splitting the body is a major sign of us acting in the old me. Or do I have the, the wisdom and the courage to speak truth and love and go to that person and seek reconciliation? Friends, we need to die to ourselves daily. We need to get out of our feelings. We need to put others before us. When we do that, the commands of Scripture are much easier for us to follow. Husbands, okay, now we're getting to the text. Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, it's interesting, in Colossians, Paul gives a much less broad and deep command than he gives to husbands in, in Ephesians. So I want to go to Ephesians and, and, and uh, share with you how he puts it to the church in, in Ephesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her by the washing of the water so that he might present her holy and blameless So, gentlemen, let's take a look at that. I want you to think of two things. Number one, Jesus' goal in loving the church, and then how Jesus loved the church. His goal and how he did it. Jesus loved the church, gave himself up so that he might sanctify her and purify her. That's our motive, gentlemen, for loving our wives. That's what Paul is saying. Your number one job, and I've never performed a marriage, but if I do, I'm going to say to that young man, or he may not be that young, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is love her and do everything possible you can to help her be closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is doing with the church gave himself up for her to sanctify her, to present her holy and blameless. Gentlemen, your job is to get out of the way and to help her in any way possible to be closer to and walk in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me follow up and say real quick, I am not saying you're a Messiah to your wife, okay? You're a sinner just like she is. But your number one job is to do everything you can to help her in her Christian walk. You don't love her so she'll be a better cook. You don't love her so she'll be a better lover. You don't love her so she'll be a better mom or so she will bring home more money. You love her with a motive to help her walk with Jesus. That's what Jesus was doing with us, with the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We talked about the motive. Now let's talk about the means. How did he do it? And gave himself up for her. Normally when we hear about Jesus giving himself up, we think about the cross, right? Makes sense. But we've learned in Philippians, we've learned in Colossians, there's so much more to it. 
He who existed in the form of God, he was eternal, confined himself to a human body. He entered our world and he learned to relate to us in the way we think and talk. He communicated with us in a way that we could understand. Okay, guys, I got a secret for you. Are you ready? They're different from us. What's that book? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or the other way around? I, I confess, I haven't read it, but I've heard a lot about it. Bottom line is, God wires the sexes differently. And check out what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives and do not be what? Embittered against them. Don't get frustrated with them. How many times have you seen a husband say, if she would just listen to reason, if she would just see things my way? Well, guess what, dude? She probably is listening to reason. It's just that God wired her a different way, so she's got a different perspective, and that's a good thing. The two become one flesh and work together. But no, I want her to see things the way I see them. Well, what do you want to do, marry yourself? Gentlemen, we are to enter their world. It doesn't, and, and please don't think I'm talking about it in a condescending way. I am not. We are not the Messiah to our wives. But we need to take time to listen to them. We need to take time to understand the perspectives that they have that God wired them to have. Because then we can truly be one flesh. We love our wives by serving. And to me, the best example of that is John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, knowing that he was going back to God, and knowing that he had been given authority over everything, says John, got up from the table, girded himself, and washed the feet of the disciples. Gentlemen, do you serve your wife? Now, what it looks like for me to serve my wife and what it looks like for you to serve your wife is going to be very different things because your wife is different from my wife, right? Know your wife. Serve her. Number three, intercede for your wife. Pray for her every day. Pray for her spiritual, her mental, her emotional, her physical well-being. Number four, be a companion that is positive and loving. Guys, how many times do you come home? It's been a, a really bad day at work and you bring that in the door. That's not what she needs. She needs someone who's gonna serve her. Just as Jesus, knowing within 12 hours he was gonna be hanging on a cross, knowing that he had come from God, he was going back to God and knowing that he had the pressure of the universe on his shoulders. Got up and washed the feet. That, gentleman, is being crucified with Christ. That, gentleman, is getting out of our feelings. That, gentleman, is letting go and serving. Fathers, do not, uh, yeah, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Again, let's go parallel to uh, 
uh, Ephesians, where Paul says, parents, bring your children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Flip side, same coin. Discipline and admonition, that's when we give our children boundaries. That's when we give them discipline or we allow them to suffer the consequences of their wrongdoing. Okay, Johnny, you're not supposed to crawl across the street without mom or dad. This is what's gonna happen now. We made it clear to you. Or we allow them to, to enjoy the positive consequences of doing the right thing. Now notice, Paul gives two commands to the men. Guys, we're under the microscope. Guys, we are called, and we need to stand up to that challenge, to love our wives and to be the type of father we're supposed to be. Well, let's talk about not exasperating your child. What's it mean to exasperate? To frustrate. Every man in here who's a father deeply, deeply loves his child. But sometimes that love turns into control, that's not real healthy. Domination. I didn't make the first string in football, so little Johnny, he's going to be the star. I had to work my way through a, 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 a community college. My boy or my daughter, she's going to have a scholarship. Well, whose plan is that, yours or his? Not only that, where's God going with this child? We need to pray on our knees, gentlemen, and ask God to show us as these children are growing, God, where do you want this kid when he grows up? And how can I join you in that walk? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Sometimes, gentlemen, we want to treat a four-year-old like he's a 10-year-old. We have expectations for them that are way above what they can do. Why? Because we love them and we want them to do great. I will recommend to you Psalm 103, where uh, the writer says, oh, let's see if I can do this. He has pity on us like a father. He knows our frame, that we are but dust. Remember how old this child is. Understand that he or she has not been through the experiences you have. Don't put more weight on them than they're ready to take. And that's living the crucified life because I want what I want for my kid and I want it now. That's the old me. The new me, in the name of Jesus, loves and nurtures, sets the bar high, but is realistic with their child. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, so here we are. Uh, and maybe, maybe I'm tripping out about this a little too much. Jan and I grew up in the 60s and 70s when the women's lib was, uh, and, and, and the world was changing. And in the church, there was all this debate. Ladies, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The word submit just means to follow the leadership of. Doesn't mean check your brains at the door. Doesn't mean never speak your mind. Honor your husband. Support your husband. Work with your husband, pray for your husband. The more mature and secure your man is, the more he's gonna work with you and he's gonna be the loving husband that he should be. Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord. So we don't have a lot of people under the age of 18 in this room. I will say that uh, God has given you someone to watch over you. In Ephesians, Paul says, this is the first command with a promise for a long life. If you are living in the household or being supported by your parents, I believe God is calling you to still honor and obey them. Jan and I had, uh, and some of y'all met her, our precious granddaughter, Brianna, and she was with us through high school, and then she hit 18 or 19, and she thought that she just didn't really have to come in unless she wanted to come in, and she wanted to be gone for a couple of days. That was her deal, because she's an adult, living under our roof, eating our food. So we said, okay, honey, that's great. You want to start paying rent? Say what? Well, yeah, just start paying rent. If you are under the authority of your parents, follow that authority in the name of Jesus. Slaves, obey those who are your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. I'm going to have to turn that text real quick because I knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Okay, so let's just, we're, we're in 2019. Let's just talk about this in labor and management. If you work for someone, if you are a supervisee to a supervisor, in the name of Jesus, follow their lead. Now, sometimes you know better than your supervisor. Anybody here ever felt that way or known that? Come on, raise your hands. Yes, you have. Maybe you say to yourself, I've, I've been in this industry longer than he has. I'm older than she is. I've got more education. Speak your mind, speak the truth in love, but follow their lead. That is, to me, one of the hardest parts of being crucified with Christ. I got to tell you, to follow the lead of someone who I know is probably making a mistake. Oh God, but here's the hard part to do it from the heart. Cause I'll say, all right, I'll do what she says. I'll do what he says, but I can't wait till I can say, told you so told you it wouldn't work. That's not the spirit of Christ. If you're working for someone else and they wake up at two o'clock in the morning, you know what they're thinking about? How am I going to make payroll? What's the best way to help this company stay afloat? What's the best way to be the best company we are? You wake up at two o'clock in the morning, you're getting a glass of water. Support, honor the per person or people you work with. And if you just can't respect them, if that's so hard, get another job. Don't stay there and play KSBJ on your radio and have your Christian plaques on there and let your boss hear you backstab him up the hallway. What kind of a witness are we for Jesus when we do that? If you can't stand where you're working, 
put your best, best face on, follow what they ask you to do, and find another job. Do it, Paul says, from the heart. Now he has a really interesting uh, sentence at the very end of this. He says, as the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. We evangelicals love grace. And I say that with a little sarcasm and a little excitement at the same time. Man, if it wasn't for grace, where would we be? But sometimes we just get sloppy with that grace. You know, God's set rules and boundaries and natural laws into order. Just because I believe in Jesus doesn't mean I can step off that roof and not break my neck. But sometimes we are so I'll say sloppy with the concept of grace that we don't think about the consequences of our action. Praise God for his grace. Praise God that his mercies begin every, uh, they're new every morning. But that doesn't mean you check your brains at the door. Think about the consequences that you are bringing upon yourself and other people. He who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. God doesn't play favorites. You do something stupid, you just might end up receiving the consequences. Sometimes we don't, but don't be smug with God. As new creatures in Christ, we have the old and the new. Unfortunately, the old that is dead is still alive. Paul says it's still being corrupted. It's still fighting. We also have that new creature inside, created in the image of our Lord Jesus. And they are in battle. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes I forget that. I've heard some preachers say, we live in a battlefield. I'd say, no, you are a battlefield if you belong to Christ. Every day, you need to bring your motives, your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, your vocation to him and say, Lord, here you go. Take it. Give it up. Sometimes he will take it. And then we need to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oftentimes he gives it back, but he doesn't give it to you as the owner of those things. He gives them back to you as the steward. That's what living the crucified life is. And when we do that, we can take these hard commands and work them out in our lives, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen.